Currently, for many Ukrainian believers, it's either very difficult or even very often physically impossible to practice their religion. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Today, we'll discuss the impact of Russia's latest invasion of Ukraine on religious communities. On February 24th, earlier this year, now six months ago, Russia launched a full-scale and unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, falsely claiming that it aimed to demilitarize and, quote, denazify the country. Russia's invasion has drawn widespread international condemnation and resulted in unprecedented and wide-ranging economic sanctions. While many people are broadly aware of the terrible toll that Russia's war has brought on civilians, causing thousands of deaths and forcibly displacing millions, there's relatively less awareness of the religious ramifications of Russia of the Russia invasion. USERF has frequently documented uh, the situation in Ukraine since its annexed Crimea, Crimea in 2014. In Russian-occupied Crimea, occupation authorities have targeted Crimean Tatar Muslims, members of the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, Jehovah's Witnesses, and others related to their religious activities. Crimean Tatars in particular have received shocking prison sentences on fabricated terrorism and extremism charges. USERF has also tracked the Russian government's troubling religious rhetoric that it uses in an effort to justify its inexplicable attack on a neighboring sovereign country. Since 2017, and most recently in April 2022 of this year, USERF has recommended that the U.S. State Department designate Russia a country of particular concern, also known as a CPC, for engaging in systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom. In 2021, the State Department for the first time implemented that recommendation, recognizing Russia as one of the worst violators of religious freedom and and explicitly taking into account Russia's violations in Ukraine in making that determination. We're fortunate today to be joined by Ruslan Khalikov and Lilia Pigornia, two scholars with the workshop for the uh, academic study of religion in Ukraine, who have been documenting the religious impact of Russia's war and are releasing a report on their findings this month. Ruslan is joining us from Kiev, Ukraine, and Lilia from Poland. Now, Ruslan and Lilia, thanks so much for joining me today on USERF Spotlight. Thank you, Edward. Happy to be Thank here. Thank you so much. Great to Great. be here. Thank it's you again. Appreciate it. Now, to start with, and before we get to the findings of your report, could you tell us more broadly about the religious dimensions of Russia's invasion? Hmm. Yeah, uh, maybe I will start and maybe Lilia will then... Uh, add something. So I'd say that uh, maybe you know, and you actually mentioned it, that uh, accusation of Ukraine for uh, possible or so-called religious persecutions of Ukrainian Orthodox Church 
actually, it was one of the claimed reasons which Russia used for its invasion. Uh, you mentioned uh, so-called uh, denazification or uh, some uh, demilitarization reasons. And uh, when uh, Vladimir Putin told about uh, uh, about this uh, invasion first time in late uh, February, he also mentioned religious dimension, like uh, Ukrainians uh, persecute uh, Orthodox, Russian Orthodox especially, and so we need to invade them. Uh, of course, uh, it's not true, but uh, this war used uh, even before it, this uh, dimension used by Russian propaganda even since 2014, uh, they accusate Ukraine in uh, violations of religious freedom, uh, but we of course know that uh, uh, in Ukraine there is a much higher level of uh, uh, religious pluralism and uh, uh, freedom of religion than, for example, in Russia, because uh, we have uh, very pluralistic uh, religious picture, religious uh, uh, situation in Ukraine uh, with uh, several Orthodox churches, a lot of uh, Protestant and uh, Catholic churches and uh, non-Christian denominations and so on. So, uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, Russia's propaganda used this uh, uh, religious uh, factor, religious dimension as one of the uh, claimed uh reasons to invade ukraine and uh, even now they use this uh, religious propaganda and uh, russian religious leaders also support unfortunately this propaganda uh, against ukraine so i i'd say that uh, there is actually a religious dimension of invasion of course it is not the main one but one of Yes, certainly a, a byproduct of the larger invasion, as you as you said. Um, you know, the war has affected everyone in Ukraine, as, as you mentioned, disrupted life in so many ways. Knowing that you've been in contact with numerous religious leaders and communities across the country as part of your research, could you speak to the impact uh, of the war on religious life in general and the practice uh, of religion? Um, of course, the impact of the war on religious life is enormous, and we can speak about it from different perspectives. And I'd like to concentrate on three main aspects. First of all, currently for many Ukrainian believers, it's either very difficult or even very often physically impossible to practice their religion. Why? We know about at least 289 cases of damaging of religious sites including the most important sites and places for pilgrimage. At least 38 priests were killed or kidnapped, and many priests and pastors had to leave their communities, and they are serving now as military chaplains, and uh, some um, priests are fighting now themselves. And that's the greatest impact of the war, the violation of the right to freedom of belief and practice of religion's rights. Um, another perspective of this impact is uh, the impact on the war on communities. Uh, church currently is not only a religious place, but it became a place for hiding when, for example, shelling or bombing. And uh, as a result, churches 
in Ukraine now are more engaged in life of communities. Many of them are highly involved in volunteering. They have special um, psychological progr programs for people who suffer during this war, especially women and children. And uh, religious communities in Ukraine are facing with new challenges. And uh, one of the examples, um, Ukrainian Krishnaids are saving cows from the combat zones. And um, one more perspective of the impact of this war is uh, it deals with inner life of the church itself. Currently, we are observing a huge tendency of popularity of the usage of uh, Ukrainian language among Russian-speaking religious communities. And that is especially true for the Protestants who are more flexible with the usage of language uh, during their services. Also, one very important point is that um, Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the Moscow Patriar Patriarchate uh, stopped mentioning Patriarch Kirill during prayers. And also, as far as you know, in 2019, Thomas was granted for the Orthodox Church of Ukraine and it became independent. And since then, um, parishes joined this church, but the process slowed down in 2021, but it revived since, since the start of the war. And since 24th of February, more than 600 parishes has joined Orthodox Church of Ukraine, and this number will probably grow. So that's briefly about different aspects of the impact of the war. No, thank you. That's very informative. And uh, I, I want to use this because you touched on a number of things. I want to turn to some of the findings of your research because you brought out some of those. One aspect that you just mentioned and you've been tracking is the targeting damage and destruction of religious sites. Uh, to what extent have you seen Russian forces go after different types of religious buildings or, or places of religious significance? And what does this mean for the possible future prosecution of Russian war crimes in this regard? Uh, because this you mentioned 289 sites, but could you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, I'd say that uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, religious sites damaged and uh, many of them actually are destroyed completely, so you cannot uh, repair it and uh, practice there again. But uh, what I want to, to emphasize is uh, among these uh, damaged buildings and damaged sites, uh, there are of course, most of most of them are Orthodox, and actually most of them belong to Orthodox Church of Moscow Patriarchate, uh, which, which operates in Ukraine. Uh, and um, but uh, among these buildings, uh, you can also find uh, evangelical prayer houses and kingdom halls of Jehovah Witnesses, synagogues, uh, Holocaust memorials, in particular, maybe you know, Babin Yar memorial complexes in Kiev. It was struck uh, under, under uh, bombing uh, in this spring. Uh, also mosques uh, and uh, and uh, separately, I'd like to emphasize there are a lot of uh, buildings of religious minorities like uh, Jehovah Witnesses and uh, uh, other small uh, Protestant groups and Jewish groups. Uh, for example, now when we speak about uh, different uh, Jewish groups, uh, we have such a small religious minority in Ukraine, Karaites. Uh, they are officially recognized as indigenous people of Ukraine. 
uh, and uh, they had only one place for worship, uh, place of worship outside of Crimea. Crimea is their historical land, actually. So they had one such place for worship uh, in in Kharkiv, and uh, now it is damaged and closed. So the only place for praying uh, is uh, unavailable for them, and uh, members of community were forced to leave Kharkiv. So. Uh, we uh, speak about uh, buildings, but uh, these uh, acts of Russian forces uh, also severely restrict uh, the religious freedom of Ukrainian civilians, uh, which is prohibited by international humanitarian law. So uh, actually this very shelling of religious building is also a war crime. Uh, because uh, places of worship are protected and uh, likewise religious leaders are protected too. But um, uh, also this is uh, war crime against uh, protected uh, objects, against protected people and against uh, uh, religious freedom. So it is uh, like uh, three uh, different uh, dimensions of war crimes, uh, uh, and uh, uh, we also uh, we also look at uh, if uh, this uh, strike or uh, shelling was uh, deliberate or it is result of indiscriminate bombing. But both of these options are actually types of war crimes. But we try to uh understand which type is uh, uh which type we we are we see in uh, each uh, case uh, for further documenting it and uh, uh preparing uh, the court suit yeah this work and i can say is so important uh to document uh for a future time as we know this is uh something that uh, is the basis of uh, you know prosecution but it has to be well documented so obviously your work is vital uh russia obviously has made spared no effort in in uh, you know made no effort in sparing civilian life and its attacks uh, on ukraine and the, and the people there but in particular religious figures including priests and pastors uh, have also been killed and kidnapped what can you tell us from what you've learned about these cases and and what has become of some of the kidnapped clergy if you, that you've been tracking for today, we know about at least 38 cases of killing and kidnapping of religious leaders. And out of these 38 cases, 16 um, priests were kidnapped. Majority of all known cases of kidnapping come from the occupied territories. And uh, for now, almost all kidnapped priests and pastors we know about were released. But uh, I'd like to emphasize that's truly for only priests who we know about. Uh, regretfully, we don't have a complete picture of what's going on, as mainly um, kidnapping is taking place on occupied territories, and either there is no connection with our informants there, or um, people we stay in touch with are afraid of sharing information, as um, it could be really harmful for them. And uh, that's why we often find out that a person was kidnapped only post factum, after he or she was actually released. 
And we know cases when people were held in captivity for a couple of hours, but we also know cases when they were held for a few months. And uh, many priests after release from captivity continue serving in their home churches uh, on occupied territories, but also there are cases when they move uh, to the territories controlled by Ukraine. And um, unfortunately, we don't know for sure what happened to those people when they were held in captivity. Um, after release, uh, they very seldom give any interviews and very seldom speak about uh, what they really experienced in captivity. So for now, we don't know for sure whether they tortured or not, uh, if they suffered or not. But I'm sure we will know much more after the war. And I'm very afraid that many details very tragic and painful will be found out as well. Yes, indeed. Unfortunately, that's that's how some of the things play out here when you have an armed uh, invasion like this. Uh, so we hope for the best. But uh, but thank you for again documenting uh, to that uh, specificity. I want to turn now to, to ask you both if you could respond on this. Both the U.S. government and the international community have demonstrated extraordinary support for, for Ukraine and the Ukrainian government, something we couldn't have imagined uh, you know, before this happened, the kind of response, even though some would argue it should even go further, but still some of the efforts that have been taken uh, have, have been extraordinary. That support has materialized, as you well know, in a number of different ways, but what recommendations might you have uh, for how the US government and the international community at this point can specifically address the religious aspects uh, of Russia's war or better support some of these affected religious communities uh, that you've been documenting in your research? The first uh, action can be uh, if uh, U US government uh, will introduce uh, sanctions again uh, against uh, Russian religious leaders who uh, speak out in support of war and uh, some of them actually call for crimes, for war crimes against Ukrainians and against Ukraine, its uh, territorial integrity and so on. So first point is sanctions. Uh, all Ukrainians ask you about sanctions, but uh, it really works and uh, it is really uh, something, need, something needed. Uh, second uh, is uh, what is really uh, uh, important is uh, assistance to Ukrainian religious minorities because uh, uh, they may not be able to recover uh, the, uh, to recover uh, their churches and uh, places of worship uh, which were damaged after war and they even don't uh, have opportunity to uh, inform uh, international community about uh, the situation. Uh, with their uh, communities, uh, because they don't have such resources as uh, like as uh, huge Orthodox churches, for example. Uh, and um, if you support uh, Ukrainian religious minorities, this actually will preserve the high level of religious freedom and pluralism in Ukraine that actually Russian Federation is trying to destroy now. And uh, third, uh, what I would like to emphasize is uh, we need help with documentation of uh, these war crimes against religious freedom and against uh, religious uh, communities. Uh, in Ukraine, uh, the number of war crimes already 
reach, uh, reached uh, hundreds of thousands. And uh, all Ukrainian investigative bodies are, uh, over, uh, are overwhelmed in, uh, with, with uh, cases. And uh, civil society is also engaged in documentation, but uh, we need uh, both institutional and resource support of uh, international community. And first of all, uh, I think from, uh, from the USA side, because we, uh, we, we need uh, help with uh, this documentation process to uh, uh, which will help uh, our and uh, international uh, courts and uh, uh, persecution uh, authorities in future. Okay. And maybe one minor recommendation, uh, pay attention to uh, religious communities, to churches and other communities uh, outside Russia, so especially based in the USA, uh, communities that support ideas of uh, the Russian mir ideology, Ruski Mir. Um, as this ideology um, is a real threat and uh, resulting with very bad consequences. <laughs> thank you. Well, we'll have to leave it right uh, here, but I, I want to thank uh, Ruslan Khalikov and uh, Lilia Pidgorna for taking the time to join us and share some of their initial research. Uh, very important work. Thank you for that. Uh, which will be uh, coming out this month on Russia's uh, religious freedom violations in Ukraine. You can find this year's uh, annual report, USERF's annual report on Russia, including information about Russia's violations in Ukraine on our website. As always, thank you for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spot. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another Usurf Spotlight.